Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy put together a budget deal to avoid economic Armageddon. Nobody better with insight on this than Chuck Coughlin, who will join us in a minute. From KTAR News, this is The Think Tank, hosted by Dr. Mike O'Neill. All right, this is what's left of Mike O'Neill. I can hardly (laughs) talk. I'm going to suffer. But fortunately, I have the perfect guest for this. You're in for a treat, probably a much improved show, because uh, my normal propensity to um, jump in and say too much is constrained by my physical capacity to do it. So you're going to hear not only Chuck Coughlin, but a lot more of them than you would normally. Welcome back to the show, Chuck. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Sorry you're not doing well. Budget deal. Joe Biden, his critics say he's old and he's weak and he's frail. But I I look at this budget deal and I see he seems savvy enough to have really rolled the Republicans in this budget deal. And the the additional observation I'd make is that uh, Kevin McCarthy, when push came to shove, is a sane individual who was not willing to um, just sort of blow up the whole country for ideological reasons. So kudos to him as well. But uh, it looks like, you know, there are always minor things that you can quibble about the left of the Democratic Party. The, the, probably the craziest one mm-hmm. was um, there was an $80 million thing for the $80 billion for the IRS, um, which would I, I think the estimates I heard are every dollar you spend you get back six. They cut it to sixty. That was a sh- that was like stupid, but you know, in the scheme it's, of it's money that it's like ten years out. Yeah. I mean that they have the money to beef up their enforcement yeah. section now. And and enforcement and also their technology is what nineteen eighty nine or something. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, well, I remember sending a check in on my uh, my my own my own IRS check. Two years ago, I wrote a check. I didn't mm-hmm. do it electronically. Um, they didn't cash it for eight months. <laughs> like I think there's a backlog going on here. And it was not an insignificant check. That was dad. probably just an indication yeah. of systemic. You know that you, you have to you have to invest money in technology from time to time, well, or yeah. else you you get well. Uh, that's the, that's the big beef with the the right anyways is they want to dismantle government yeah. as uh rather than fund it to keep up with the growth there's no acknowledgement of growth going on and so and technology and all those things and, and it has to keep pace and so when you don't do that as to the budget deal i don't disagree with anything you just said i i think uh the president you know waited until there was enough time left fourth quarter politics and put mccarthy's back to the wall and then thoughtfully cut a deal that McCarthy could live with, could get a majority of his caucus on board, but and a majority of Democrats on board. Um, I, I, too, agree with your diagnosis of McCarthy. You know, nobody really knew if he was willing to go over the edge with the mm-hmm. with the Freedom Caucus and take this thing into oblivion. Um, and he proved not. He proved that he was a guy you can cut a deal with. Um, and so I think it's a great – I know there was a lot of anxiety about it in the entire country. I quite frankly, you know, once they started sitting down talking, I was like, they'll get this done. And so 
I was very relieved. Uh, I watched my stock market portfolio with great, with great anxiety over mm-hmm. leading up to that. Um, and my broker was saying, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and lo and behold, it was fine. And, and it came back the first day. <laughs> I checked exactly. that as well. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the last couple of days have been, you know, quite, quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, we're back to business as, as usual right now. And we're, we're on to bigger and better things, I guess, that we're going to talk about. I guess we're all business Republicans when we look at our money, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're all, we're all pragmatists when it comes down to the, the real world of politics. So I, I was pleased that uh, they got it done. Uh, I don't think the IRS uh, thing is a legitimate objection. I think, as you said, it was like $80 billion. I think that was over for the next 15 years or something. Mm-hmm. So what they do? They took the last three years of that out, and now they have 12 years uh, in order to spend money to do the enforcement and the, the technology aspects of the department so that they can catch up with the with the times. Well, that, that was something I didn't know. It, yeah. So you're saying that the only... Uh, Cuts in the our future in, yeah. are, are are out are out a ways, so there's plenty there's of no time impact. to plenty of time to rectify yeah. that. I mean, eighty billion dollars is a lot of money. Yeah, and so yeah. so you can you can live off of that for quite some time. And if you're getting six to one, that's also a lot of revenue. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I, I'm thinking that it's a pretty good deal. I was proud that uh, um, I think cinema played a big part in this again. I mm. think that was a significant role that she played. At the end, we saw in the Senate there was some uh, some uh, consternation over sequestration and potential budget cuts down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, they got Schumer to agree uh, to a statement which said that they will uh, w- they will deal with the budget, the Defense Department. Um, Equitably, and it would not uh, affect future budget, uh, future cuts to the Defense Department. Um, and I think that satisfied enough Republicans to it, it, get explain them over to me the top. a little bit what that means. I really wasn't clear what it meant. Yeah. It, it it all had to do with some interpretation by the Senate Republicans that there was a Defense Department uh, sequestration possibility in the budget, and a sequestration um, being like an whole, instance when. Money that's appropriated is held back withheld. due to due to the need to constrain the budget. Right, right. And so they were they were concerned about that. So they got a an agreement with Schumer and the Democrats to um, work in good faith uh, towards resolving any of those concerns. Apparently, that was enough to get uh, you know a number of Republicans on board. I think they lost a few Democrats in the Senate, and they lost a few. Uh, a, a few uh, Republicans, but I think the final vote was 63. So mm-hmm. um, obviously enough to put it over the top. And the I think the House was even more lopsided in favor. It was. And it was true bipartisanship. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like yeah. there was only a handful of one party. No. It was, I don't know if it was majorities of both parties, but it, uh, but it was close. It was close. It was close. The, the Republicans, of course, had some uh, serious defections that were mm-hmm. obviously... I mean, it was obvious from the get-go that there were Freedom Caucus members that weren't going to vote for anything other than the legislation that they passed. And so there was a lot of con- you know, consternation and hand-wringing about that from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, that's what it is. And as we saw, to date, there's been no assault on his speakership either. 
um, which would easily be done, uh, you know, under the rules that he agreed to. It's just one member can object. He's so. on just so everybody understands that the very weak deal, yeah, uh, weak position that McCarthy putting him. He wanted to be speaker so bad. He took it under terms that any sane person or <laughs> or any person who was not obsessed with getting this job, yeah. I think, wouldn't want under those conditions because yeah. uh, essentially the rules are one member of the Republican caucus. Or is it one member? One in the, member in the yeah. House. Yeah, can move. To... Could even be a Democrat. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Sure. Democrat right. wouldn't right. do it no, because right. that would trigger the Republicans right. to go supportive of one Republican certainly can cause a vote to uh, no confidence in the speaker, which would take him out means he's out, take him out. Right. And uh, yeah, it's interesting that so this maybe was the best of both worlds for them. They got to, you know, posture and and scream and and be against this. But when push came to shove, they were willing to. It's how politics normally works. It's how it used to work. Absent. Well, without and a rule that at, one person can take down the speaker. Well, right. But it used to work this way uh, in the absence of a national economic meltdown, <laughs> which this would have caused. Yeah, this 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 was this, you know, blowing up the budget would have been economic suicide. Yeah. So th- this is like, you know, we're all going to. But we didn't used to have those kind of stakes yeah. in the game. And these kind of compromises were often the norm back in the day. And that is no longer the norm because of the tension within our partisan politics these days you know you're evil i'm good and you're all evil and i'm all good and you know nary the two will ever meet and uh, we we can't compromise on anything i was reading an article today in the new york times about uh you know how there was a group of oregon legislators that have walked out they, they've walked out so they can't do their business anymore they cannot because they don't have a quorum they cannot do the business of state government right now so it's crazy the behavior that's taking place right well, now. What it looks to me like is there was some posturing out public, and that was very different from what was happening behind the scenes where it looks like essentially they cut a pragmatic deal. Yeah. And one of the under underlying facts is, you know, Republicans might have said they're want for cuts, but there wasn't a penny in there they hadn't already voted to appropriate. Well, that's so. the whole <laughs> irony of the whole thing. This yeah. is all money they've already spent. They've yeah. already agreed to spend under Trump's budgets, under yeah. Biden's budgets. This yeah. was money that had been allocated and been due to spend. So literally, they're not approving any new spending. They were pr- approving what they've already spent. And the analogy, the personal analogy to this is not, hey, should we go out and buy a new car? No, the analogy is we have a credit card bill and the money is due. due. <laughs> and if we don't pay it, we're going to get hit with exorbitant interest rates. Should yeah. we pay the bill? The answer is yes, pay yeah, the bill. We all would do that, right? <laughs> yeah, but some, that now some of us pay the minimum, but yeah. then you're, the bank, you're, you're paying you're banks over, for yeah. the rest of your life. That's exactly right. So, That's But exactly any right. rational, you know. Rational person, or somebody who understands the the arithmetic of this, yeah. you pay the bill in full. Yeah, there were some work requirements in there yeah. that uh, the um, hard left objected mm-hmm. to. Uh, finally, it was done with. Uh, I think it was um, food benefit recipients of fifty and older mm-hmm. who were not on Medicaid, who were able to work, uh, presumably. And then you hear all this gnashing of teeth on that too. Um, I read something incidentally on that. that yeah. Actually, they were jigging around, and there was many as many people taken off work requirements as added to them. Yeah. So it could be. I mean, know. you know, it, but you, you hear then all the left 
screaming bloody murder that this is of this course. is going to put people in the poorhouse yeah. and it's going to be disruptive and yada, yada yada and of course i mean i look at that and the devil is always in the detail which people are we talking about you know if we're talking about somebody who is truly able-bodied and capable of working frankly the main constraint on that is it often costs more to implement a program to check it right. <laughs> than than right. what you what you save and uh, I mean, uh, one, I think, example of that is the student loan business, mm. which uh, and I would like to delve into the details of that because my attitude of that would depend on, um, you know, I, I understand there are constraints as a percentage of income as to how much somebody has to pay. Yeah. And if those are reasonable, you got a heck of a benefit if you got a college education out of something and yeah. you know as opposed to somebody being in a situation where their um their lifestyle is severely right impacted. where they can't make the note payment can't make their rent payment and yeah. and you don't want that yeah uh, and and i sort of mixed feelings about the folks who got taken in by some of the some of these some were of educational the, scams yeah where yeah. there were you know Trump University clones yeah. that were delivering nothing, proprietary institutions, yeah. delivering nothing of any value, and where their admissions officers were really salesmen. And they're selling a bill of goods that says, listen, and, and this Here's is a true- education for free. This is a true fact. Get your education for free. Just sign here. Yeah. And uh, you also, are, then they're citing, well, college graduates on average- make a million dollars in their lifetime more than others without a college graduate, which is, which is true, but misleading. And the reason it's misleading is if you have two pools of people, one are all the college graduates and all the other non-college graduates, Mm -hmm. they differ along about six dimensions. First of all, the pool of college graduates on average come from better backgrounds with more resources on average. They're smarter and more capable. On average, they've worked harder, um, and 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 also there's and they may have been learned something in school. That's that's separate from the last thing, which is, do you have right. a degree? Right. And all of those things vary, but people are t- interpreting that to mean it's the degree only that gets you that million dollars. No, it's that whole package of things. Right. It's the whole culture. You know, mm-hmm. it's caveat emptor. You know, know what you're gonna. Be buying. It's, mm-hmm. There's some obligation there of the purchaser too yeah. uh, to understand what yeah. what they're buying and, and and know that it's of value to you over the long term and that you can afford to do it. And and I'm a believer in education, but I also know it ain't. I've seen people go through and get worthless degrees, and yeah. they get out and they think the world is their oyster, <laughs> and, and but they didn't learn anything and they can't do anything, right. and then they're just befuddled that they feel like they got cheated because somebody sold them the goods. And if they went to a salesman slash admission officer at one of these proprietary institutions, Mm -hmm. that may very well have been the case. It's kind of not unlike, uh, you know, here, just sign on here Mm -hmm. and it's only $20 a month or something like that. Well, 
Well, the next version, of, we should do a future show because I think the Supreme Court's going to take up affirmative action here pretty soon, well, which is part of the college admissions process right now. Right. And I, I think they're going to toss that out on its ear. And yeah. so we'll have a lot more to talk about yeah. there. Side commented, I think affirmative action is so much a part of the culture of most American universities at this point that they will find some round, way around it. They will uh, not base and, it. And they should. They right. will not base on it race. on race. Right. But they'll base it on other things that yeah. correlate with race. Economic for example, equity. for example. Um, the uh, first-generation college. Yeah. Okay, now that's going to disproportionately um, aid uh, persons of lower color. Income, and lower, and and lower, lower income, income in general right. who happen right. to be have higher percentages of persons of color, but yes. it's not race per se. Right. I mean... No, that's right. I mean, David Brooks wrote a column you know, about that recently. I mean, I, I look right. at this, that's you know, I... That's what'll happen. You know, I have friends who, you know, went to an... Ivy League school, and they got third generation Ivy League graduates who happen to be black. I'm sorry, they don't need. Yeah. They don't need any. <laughs> they don't need that. Hand. They're, they're privileged. They that, yeah, right. right. Uh, because because of their education, and like I said, we're now in third affirmative action, which basically originates about 1969. Yeah, you're talking roughly the second gener- third generation is beginning yeah. of that. So yeah. time uh, to eliminate the race requirement or make it, Re- it make it not race. Yes. You know, it, it, not, it, not it, it'll be other things. Those are things that be correlated with race. Yeah. But I, to me, the, the easiest one is well, it's income. your it's, parents, it's poverty, well, right. income, but even, even in college education, because you yes. can have somebody uh, who happens to have a trade skill, yeah. makes a decent income, yep. but doesn't have the educational culture yeah. that you get if your parents, have yeah. a college education. Try, time to change so, the model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. Uh, and, it, and it'll involve some change, but I, I, I think that uh, the difference, and, and and I'll even say the affirmative action had its place because at the time, because I think it was foisted on some institutions that didn't want to do it. And if you're talking about. Um, Affirmative action in colleges and universities now they want to do it's part right. of their culture. So they're, they're not going to they're not going to they're not going to they're still going to achieve uh, equitable maybe better result. And it was blatant segregation that <laughs> yes. was happening in the that South. was the errors. Yes, yeah. that was the motivation, and it was thoughtful for the time. I mean, but it's time to change the yeah, model. When I entered college, nineteen sixty nine, there were kids from the South yeah. who had part of their actual education was in a segregated, segregated institution school. they yeah. weren't that much beyond that because the decision was oh actually the decision was 1954 you know when the mm-hmm. real implementation was the late 60s. 1969 yeah. they uh issued in in the june of 1969 they said okay um, with all deliberate speed has been yeah. abused. Do not open your schools in September Until on a segregated basis. basis. Period. Right. And and that the because that had to be what happened. You those who were dragging their feet. There right. were those who right. interpreted um, um, with all deliberate speed, which yeah. was the words of the 1954 court decision, as when hell freezes over. Yep. <laughs> Yep, that was all the late 60s after the 65 Civil Rights Act was actually passed into law. And, you know, you took some time to digest all that. And, and, it, and it really changed culture. Right. And now we're going to do it. We're going to change the model again. And, mm-hmm. you know, long after you and I are in the ground, they'll probably change the model again. And so, Because well, of a different, re- a different reality. Yeah, there's a different yeah. reality that always happens in life. And it, it percolates yeah. through growth and change yeah. as, as things always happen in life. And you have to be adaptable to yeah. those types of uh, yeah. situations. In an ideal world, race wouldn't matter. 
But the fact is, sometimes it does. Yeah. Race and money don't matter, right? (laughs) Money will always matter. Exactly. Oh my goodness! We, we could we could digress into vouchers, but we're not going there because no. we're going to stay on the. Uh, uh, so, budget deal. Um, what do you think the long term impacts of this are? Is this a model for the future? No, it's a one time mm-hmm. deal where mm-hmm. they had a ton of money sitting on the sideline. Our, that, national, we're talking about. Oh yeah, because I think yeah. that is true. We, yeah. we, we we'll we'll talk about this next yeah. week. Yeah, we'll they, be back. We're just four yeah. stage what we're going to do sure. next. We're going to talk about Arizona budget. But where no, the, I don't think no. this is a, a national model mm-hmm. for any. It, it's it, we're in this period of really great change right now. Mm-hmm. You know where uh, there's all kinds of competing elements, hyper partisanship, and so I think we're in this era of evolution. The cinema case is a classic example of that right now, how she's trying to chart this path, you know, neither right nor left, a centrist problem-solving path. And she will run if she chooses to run as an independent on a record of literally all of Joe Biden's accomplishments Mm -hmm. that she can claim credit for. Um, And she'll see if she's rewarded for that in an era of hyper-partisanship because she has been a part of all of these deals Everything that Biden's gotten through the Senate has had her fingerprints all over it. And, as well as some things that didn't go through because she didn't come well, on board. Right. That has upset the left, the voting mm-hmm. rights stuff, the things yeah. that, you know, she did not see as as saw as a pendulum swinging issue where, mm-hmm. you know, one body's going to do it. And then two years from now, when the Senate goes back into Republicans' hands, they'll just undo it. And, you know, she wants some institutional accountability on that. So. I think we're really in a in a great period of change right now that um, I don't know which way it's going to go. I, I really don't. Uh, um, but it's fascinating to watch and be a participant of it. But as, I, as I've reached, I had my 61st birthday the other day. I'm getting to the point where I think I just want to watch this. I really don't want to participate anymore. And so, too, much, too much pain in the oh incident. Oh, my gosh. It's so extraordinary. All the, well, all you the don't do challenges. candidates anymore. Is that right? No. No, we really don't. We'll do local candidates or mm-hmm. nonpartisan races and stuff like that, but both, mostly ballot initiatives and, and bond, bond campaigns mm-hmm. and those types of things. Because, you know, I've learned a long time ago that candidates are an extraordinary experience. I mean, you, you, it's mind, heart, and soul into that, mm-hmm. into that candidate and with the thought that you're going to win. And there's so many races that start today where I can just see with my experience that that's never going to happen. You're never going to get elected uh, given the hyper-partisanship of the, of the current cycle mm-hmm. and what I hear coming from you uh, in terms of prag- pragmatic politics. You're not going to get elected. And I can't uh, – that those people I admire, I, I, I want to help them. But in the current partisan environment, you're just not going to win a Republican or a Democratic primary um, with that type of narrative. And so, you know, it's just I throw up my hands and say, well, good luck. You know, I'll pray for you at home. (laughs) And they run their race and they lose. And uh, we deal with the uh, results of that, which we have right now, mostly in all of elected politics. Chuck Coughlin. Thank you. You'll be back next week and we'll talk about Arizona politics. Thank you. Chuck Coughlin next week in the think tank.